Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Ryan and Charlie, the CTO and CRO at Route, and we discuss how Route is changing the e-commerce experience, crafting a culture of accountability, and the benefits of having high standards. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Hey guys. Hello. How are you guys doing without the without the haircuts? I, I even brought my hat. I was like, I don't know what to do. You can't get yeah, I got the hat. <sighs> my hair's getting quite long. You, you, oh, you got a guitar back there. I do, yeah. Not, wait, is that a microphone holder too with the little pop filter? Yeah, Charlie makes fun of me because he thinks I <laughs> place it there on purpose to look cool. Oh, you should. It just happens that my office is also in a little little studio, so. Oh, nice. Ryan's one of those people that's like annoyingly talented at everything. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. So what type of music do you like to play? Uh, you know, I, I grew up playing the piano. Um, so that that the, the basis, but then I, I just love writing music on uh, kind of electronic music, really. Oh, nice. You know, just play with Ableton Live and a MIDI keyboard and that sort of stuff. Making it happen. Now, yeah. do, you, do you have a band going, you and Charlie? <laughs> we should start one. Charlie, can you play like the clarinet or something? Um, I've, got, I've, I've, got, I've got some solid like fourth grade recorder skills, uh, if, if, if you ever need that. But uh, I, I figured you'd, you'd be pretty good at that. Yeah, no, that's, that's what I got. And Joel, you should, you should see this guy's snowboard too. It's like I said, it's, it's annoying. Do you have like GoPro footage, Ryan? uh i i could dig that up somewhere yeah oh man i like that are you are you athletic what do you do charlie now you gotta stay <laughs> <laughs> charlie um, has talent you know somewhere uh, somewhere, somewhere. <laughs> we're still trying to figure that out no i uh i, I grew up playing i grew up playing soccer but as i like to say that was about 40 pounds ago and uh and i i snowboard for fun right now but uh i'm, I'm usually pretty good unless i'm unless i'm next to ryan or behind ryan i should say <laughs> Hey, we, we have quite fun snowboarding together. Do you guys both live in uh, Utah? Yeah, we live up in, uh, we both live up in Park City. Um, so it's, uh, it's definitely worth it. You know, we've got a world-class tech community here in Utah and um, we live in a world-class ski town. So uh, the, commute, the commute's a bit much, but uh, I actually miss it at this point, so. Right, yeah. This hat's actually a Vail hat. That's like a good little ski town. All right. <laughs> You go there in the uh, in the summers. Everyone's in cast from their broken arms from the mountain biking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. It's true. It's true. Oh man, at some point we probably got to talk about like route and technology stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that was the point of this, right? I think so. What's like the thirty thousand foot view of route? Uh, I'll, I, I can give an answer. You know, Charlie and I are going to have uh, similar and um, and also you know unique perspectives on this but um really you know our, our mission statement as a company is to help people see share and discover the world's products um you know it for what people know about route today that um part of that may make sense and part of that may feel like um you know there, there's some questions there as to like what we really mean. um you know route started Actually, um, you know, the CEO's story, the founder, um, is, is really cool. It started four or five years ago 
Um, and, and he was doing a lot of work kind of in, in performance marketing and, and kind of direct consumer um, brands that, that he would spin up and down. And, um, you know, he at one point was actually over in Italy and he wanted to buy this antique trunk. Um, and the seller uh, was, was nervous to sell it because they said when they ship it over to the States that they often break. Um, and, and Evan responds to that and says, well, you know, let's put insurance on it. And he said, I don't know how to do that. And Evan responded, he's like, I, I don't know how to do that either. Um, but in that moment, Evan thought about what he was doing um, and thought, you know, providing the opportunity for the consumer to add insurance um, at the point of sale might be an interesting way to um, increase conversion on his sites and to, to help people feel confident that they can make a purchase. And so he came back and, and actually started the idea of shipping insurance within a previous business of his and was just blown away by the success that that had had. Um, you know, it did increase conversion across all of his sites and, you know, also became uh, what, what he recognized as a really interesting business opportunity to, to focus on. And, and so that, you know, a handful of years later, um, you know, Evan, uh, found that our co-founder Mike and the two of them decided to take that idea and spin it up into a business called Route. Um, but they, they definitely envisioned much more than, than just insurance. Um, however, you know, the, the cool thing, I mean, so many startups start and they're this fantastic product idea and they're going to go change the world and then they have to figure out how to make money. Um, you know, one of the amazing things that Evan and Mike figured out was, hey, we have this fantastic business model. Um, you know, a really um, good idea and a way to make money. And, and let's evolve our thoughts around that to create this really interesting product vision. And, and so they, um, you know, as, as they were thinking through that idea, they evolved to the mission statement of helping pe uh, people to see, share, and discover the world's products and, and kind of a, a shared goal, North Star product of bringing everything that you buy online into one place. Um, and so those really two are, are like the 30,000 foot view. We have a goal to take everything that you buy online, bring it into one place and, and then provide a way to elevate that shopping experience. Um, you know, today that's through um, a premium tracking experience so that you can track that order in a, in a very nice visual uh, user experience and also to build confidence into that order so that if something goes wrong, um, you know, whether it's lost, damaged, or stolen in the process, that route's going to make it incredibly convenient and simple for you to resolve. Um, so, so I would kind of put it there. Charlie, I don't know if you have any thoughts to add to that. Yeah, um, I, I, I think one of the more interesting things that you hear Evan talk about quite a bit is, is you know, he was in, in high school, he started his first e-commerce company. And in you know 1994, the dawn of the internet, you buy something online, and what what happens thereafter is you get an email that says thanks for your order. And you know you fast forward 25 years, and you think about the state of technology 25 years ago compared to today, and then you realize that if you buy something online today, what happens is you get an email that says thanks for your order, and that that email is slightly better. And so it, it's it's just one of these kind of you know, incredibly obvious areas, um, you know, of, of modern life, modern technology, that once you actually look at it, you realize that it's still kind of stuck in, in the stone age. Um, and, and all we have now 25 years later is better emails. And then on top of that, you look at, 
really uh, another thesis of the business is, is that the post-purchase experience kind of from the moment you hit checkout until the moment you get your order, um, it's a very fragmented experience. Uh, and so, you know, the second you, you go shop with your, you know, online at your favorite brand and, you know, as soon as you hit checkout, right, that, that experience is now handed over to, to a carrier who doesn't really care about the brand and doesn't really care about, um, you know, user interface or a great experience. And if you want to find out where your order is, you have to dig through your email and find a link and you end up on a, on an ugly carrier tracking page. Uh, and, uh, and then if you run into some type of issue with your order, you know, you have to go read terms and conditions, reach out to support for the merchant. You have to go sometimes deal with the carrier. Uh, and, and, and so that is, is just, it's a fragmented and broken process. And so, uh, a, an additional thesis of route is that we just, we think that there's a fundamentally better approach to that. So if I download the consumer app, will like it show me where my stuff is. <laughs> so I, I, I describe it as, as kind of like a, an Uber like kind of, you know, user interface where it's a map and it's like all of your packages are on there. You order something online you know, you automatically get push notifications. And so, you know, especially in the current landscape, you know, you order a lot of stuff. Sometimes you even forget what you ordered, um, you know, and now you have push notifications. Uh, the other thing, which is really interesting is, you know, we've seen a 131% increase in stolen packages in the last three weeks due to COVID. Um, and in addition to that, you know, the major carriers are suspending, um, you know, a lot, if not all of their, their guarantees, including, you know, signature requirements. And so those two things play together. So the fact that I can get a push notification from an app, like the second that my package hits my doorstep, like it, it's more valuable now than ever. So what are you guys doing? Like, you, do you authenticate through my email and like you're scanning email and then you're picking up on tracking IDs and you sort of process your own experience behind that? Like, how are you figuring out what I'm ordering? Yeah, we, we really, we take a couple of approaches, you know, um, now more than ever, people have uh, different perspectives in terms of what they feel comfortable with in terms of giving access to email or not giving access to email. And so we definitely wanted to approach this problem as, as making it optional. Um, and so when you sign into route, you know, that the first thing is route has partnered with somewhere close to 2,500 stores at this point, um, to offer insurance and also integrate with their tracking. And if you buy from one of those 2,500 stores, um, then part of that transaction um, is uh, comes with route, or, or you know, depending on whether you elect to add route or not to your order. But route gets that information directly from the store, and we're able to pull that into a very elegant user experience and and visually track the order from the point at where it ships to your door. Um, you know, route also wanted to. Um, make sure that you know we provide an app that that's useful more than than you know the the handful of times that you order from stores that route has actually partnered with and so to do that route provided a way to um, connect into your email and therefore pull everything that you order online into one place um, you can do that through gmail today uh, you know gmail offers the ability to authenticate an app um, for access to your email um, if if you're not comfortable doing that you can also forward those emails to route um, and so those really are, are the options, you know, use route just for the stores that route has partnered with use route by forwarding your emails to route or allow route to access your email. And, and we will do our best to, to find that automatically for you. I'm comfortable with the integration. I have no cool. problem. Like yeah. being like, yeah, here's my, here's my Gmail. And I get to see when, you know, I saw the, I, I pulled up the webpage and saw it. it's actually a pretty cool interface. 
and for me to just authenticate my email and then it just shows me the world with like all of these packages yeah. coming to me like that seems pretty cool because it actually had like the product image yeah on the map like where the map marker would normally be i thought that was i thought that was really neat also it would help my wife get a visual of, <laughs> of the expenses <laughs> yep yep um you know we uh we take privacy in, in, incredibly seriously um and you know from day one you know just actually just getting permission from google to make that connection requires that we um went through a a very um a, a very robust you know security assessment that included penetration testing and you know understanding of our business and policy and everything with relate you know with relation to data privacy um you know we so we're, we're very very serious about it we also have um, you know, we want to make sure that we're only accessing the things that are actually important to the tracking experience. And so we've invested a ton of actually our R&D um, into some, you know, impressive algorithms and, and ways in which we can really only pull the emails that have um, the light, you know, that, that are predicted to have any sort of tracking or order information. Um, and, and actually, we've made big investments into machine learning um, specifically to do this with, with you know, greater than 99% accuracy at the ability to look at an email and know whether or not that email is about order and tracking data. I like it. That's smart. I'm curious on the other, on the consumer or the, uh, the merchant side, the like kind of consumer side on the merchant side, you, you mentioned a couple of times like insurance. It seems like that's a business model for you guys, correct? Insuring some of the products, um, which is smart. So if I'm a, if I'm a merchant, could I add like, an upsell like insure it would be like a checkbox like insure this product with route and i would check it and it would charge like an extra you know x dollars like 10 bucks and then it would be insured is that the flow is that what i gathered the um it's it's very close so we actually insure the shipments not the product oh. um and so you know i mean basically the the product is insured if it happens to get lost damaged or stolen um and you know it's it's not sort of like an extended warranty but it's particularly um insuring that it it leaves someplace and and arrives in in you know good state, um, but it, it's exactly like you described. When you go to checkout, at the point of checkout, you'll see an option to add route, and you know route is some small percentage of of that charge. You know somewhere between one and and three percent typically, and um, and then you can elect to add that, and it adds you know a dollar or a few dollars based on what you're buying. And um, you know the, the next part of that experience, if if you're using the app, is you'd get a notification on the app that, hey, you know, we just found your order. Um, if you're not a user of the app, you'd get an email from Route that said, hey, congratulations, you know, your order's protected, and it would invite you to go and download the app. Oh, that's pretty cool. Do do I, as a merchant, get part of that fee or no? Charlie, you want to take that one? Um, yeah. So, so we actually do share some of, uh, you know, some of that feedback with the merchant to make sure that kind of the value is aligned. And we have a lot of merchants as well that actually opt to, to pay for, um, pay for route protection for all of their orders going through, um, because of, you know, the impact that route can have through visual tracking, uh, you know, dramatically reduces the, where's my order calls, which typically speaking is 30 to 40% of the calls that go into support. So we can dramatically reduce that. Obviously, we're, we're, we're dramatically reducing the amount of kind of claims uh, issues that they're dealing with, sometimes as high as like 90 to 95% of the, of the time and volume that, that would go through 
uh, to their support department. Uh, and then obviously most brands, uh, you know, today basically are, are kind of, you know, customer focused and want to provide a great experience. And so if something shows up lost, damaged or stolen, a lot of times these merchants will just eat that cost and will send, you know, either a refund or a new order. And our insurance policy basically turns that, that typically sunk cost into a new order for these merchants. So if you, if you look at all of those cost savings, a lot of our merchants have, have really determined that, that it's in their best interest uh, and it's, it's cost neutral for them to actually pay for this, um, you know, for all of their customers. So that's, that's another option as well. Yeah. Well, and it also helps like spread route. It, it's just so interesting as I'm learning here about the, the business and the model, it seems like this thing should have existed a long time ago. I, I, I say all the time, I think some of the best businesses out there are like facepalm. That's so obvious. Why didn't I think of it? And the second, I, I, I literally, from the first time Ryan told me about Route, um, we were colleagues at a previous company and he, he called me to get, you know, kind of a go-to-market perspective on, on the company. And, and it's one of those ideas, like the second you hear that you could have all of your orders in one place, it, it never ceases to be infuriating if you have to go into email and click on a tracking link and then try to figure out where your order is. Uh, and then you have to do that multiple times per order uh, you know, per shipment. And so it's, it's one of those ideas that uh, it's hard to get the bug out of your head once, once you realize that there's a significantly better way to be doing it. Yeah. And you re it really hit home too, with like the ugly experience. I hate uh, the emails from my UPS or wh whoever they are that to click it. And then it's like always this old system. And then I get into the system and the map is garbage. It's like, there's like a map graphic from like 1998. It's like, they're still using <laughs> MapQuest. you know, it's like, what's going on? <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. So I, I totally get that experience. Plus, it was already a proven model from what they did with uh, flight tracking, right? Like flight tracking already had a very similar model where they're getting people's, they're detecting your flights through your email, and you would just have it on the app, and it would just know all your schedules and, and travel. So it was already something that's happening over there too. Yeah, absolutely. Dude, this is great. I love the product. Like this is this is actually <laughs> really cool. How how large are you guys right now? Like. How fast have you grown? Um, yeah, quite uh, quite quickly. Um, so uh, we, as as Ryan mentioned, we have twenty five hundred merchants that are currently using the Route app. Uh, we we basically from a cold start in January of uh, of twenty nineteen, we went from three employees to about one hundred and fifty. And uh, we, uh, we broke Slack's five-year-old record for revenue in the first year of business. And uh, we've got some even more uh, mind-blowing things up our sleeve for, for 2020, but I'll, I'll leave that as a teaser. Uh -huh. Nice. That's exciting. <laughs> yeah, you got to follow up with me on that. You guys got like bought by FedEx. They were like, we needed a prettier interface. We didn't know what to do. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> they're actually doing some pretty cool stuff that's one of the episodes that i think you would like uh as far as logistics wise i always try to figure out like what episodes the guests would like the one that we did with the fedex it wasn't their cto but it was their head of uh, blockchain uh, one mm -hmm. of their executives there but man there's some really interesting things happening on a global logistics level with blockchain and they'll work together with like fedex and eps they'll all like work together as a collection to help push these technologies forward it's quite fascinating that's very cool. I'd, I'd love to, to hear that one. So, so Ryan, let's talk a little bit about uh, leadership and technology. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I can just riff for a little bit and then you can uh, d dive in anywhere where you're interested. But 
Um, you know, it, for me, it really starts with um, one, one very important kind of uncompromising thing, which is to hire great people. Um, and, you know, I think the day I started at Route, I was talking to Evan and Mike and said, you know, and, and, and of course, day one, it's like, hey, we got to go hire a bunch of, of engineers. And I think the first thing I said was, we're going to start by setting a ridiculously high hiring bar. Um, and I know we feel pressure to go and hire. However, taking some time up front to make sure that we hire the best people is going to pay dividends forever. Um, and, you know, this is actually something that uh, Charlie and I, um, you know, have five to six years worth of experience of um, kind of working with similar strategy at Qualtrics. And, you know, that Charlie and I were both there for uh, previous to joining Route and we came, came to Route and, and, you know, absolutely something that is just paramount in our business is to, to hire the very best people. Um, you know, once, once you've done that, um, you know, it's, it's about enabling their success. And, you know, what, what does success look like? Um, you know, from my side, you know, Qualtrics was an interesting experience where, you know, I went from, um, you know, having a little bit of leadership experience to managing a very large team that was around the world. And, you know, that, that happened over a few short years. Um, and, and I absolutely made a lot of management mistakes. Um, you know, it, it's hard not to. I, I like to tell um, people when, you know, when talking about opportunities at Route, um, that good people do not necessarily become good managers. It takes a lot more than being a good person to be a good manager. Um, and, and management really comes down to a very important skill set um, and, you know, and, and a very important motivation. Um, if the motivation is anything other than enabling people's success, um, you're, you're probably thinking about management wrong. Um, but you know, ultimately, um, what does it look like to enable success of people? For me, it comes down to establishing kind of how we work and what are we trying to accomplish, right? And so product vision um, is, you know, is, is very important. Do, do the um, engineers on the team, do the people at the company understand where we're going and why we're going there? You know, do they, do they really get it? Do they, do they believe in it? Do they have passion for, for what we're trying to accomplish? Um, and, you know, um, after, after product vision, it, it really is, how are we going to get there? You know, engineering's core responsibility is to deliver that product. Um, and, and how do we go about doing that? You know, for me as a leader to, to be successful, I certainly can't do all of it. I love the fact that, you know, I, I, I am an engineer through and through. I've, I've been coding for 15 or 16 years professionally, um, and, and I'll still uh, take time today to write code, even though the team will make fun of me for it in, in certain cases. Um, but, you know, it's, it's very important to me to, to be in the detail. Um, but at the same time, as, as the team scales out, I can't be there every day. And I have to know that when I'm not there to make a decision, that the team knows how to make the best decision without me. And, and that's around establishing, you know, how we work as a team. What is the culture and what are the tenets of our team? Um, you know, the tenets for me, you know, and, and for our team start with delivering value frequently, right? Um, how do we make sure that we are consistently delivering new value to our customers? Um, you know, that's easy to do for a short period of time. That's hard to do um, over the long period of time, right? And so as we're thinking about a, a long-term strategy and the goal to deliver value frequently for the long term, we have to be very thoughtful about how we go about delivering the value 
you know, what technical decisions we're making, what debt that we're incurring, um, you know, what, what systems and, and strategies do we have for building it? Um, another very important tenet of ours is that we ship um, software fast and reliably. Um, it's easy to ship software fast, and it's also relatively easy to ship software reliably, but it's very hard to, to ship fast and reliably. Um, and you know, the, the engineers actually came up with a little motto of we're not going to deploy code with our fingers crossed, right? Um, we, we want to have confidence in our deployments, but we want to do it quickly. And so that comes down to investments into automation and testing strategies and, and the quality of, of how we build software. Um, and you know, I'd say the, the other really, really important goal and, and one that I learned um, with, with a lot of scar tissue from Qualtrics is to pr uh, prioritize operational excellence. And you know, really, what do, what do we mean by that? Um, operational excellence in engineering is, is about having confidence that you understand how your system is working and how your system will continue to work at various degrees of scale. Um, and you know, I, I've been a part of a team where we did not understand that. And as businesses move fast, Qualtrics move very fast, Route is moving even faster somehow. Um, you know, if, if you are not prepared for those sort of things, you find yourself hitting a brick wall at 100 miles an hour and, you know, and holding the business back. And, and so thinking about and prioritizing operational excellence is something that just needs to be a part of how we work on a daily basis. Um, so, so I would say that that's a part of it. Um, you know, an, another really important part of it is, is creating the right culture um, and, and a culture, you know, I actually, something else I love to tell people, um, you know, as, as I was progressing into various leadership um, roles in, in my career, I kept getting feedback um, that I, need to be, I needed to be a bigger jerk to be effective. Um, and I didn't know how to interpret that. You know, I, I mean, I understood it, but, but I, I couldn't figure out how I was going to be very successful as a leader in technology because I just fundamentally am uncomfortable being a jerk. I just don't like to be a jerk. Um, and, you know, it was three or four years ago, um, my, the, the CTO over at Qualtrics now, his name's John Timson. Um, but he phrased that a little differently at one point. He said, Ryan, you got to hold your team to higher expectations. And that was, you know, all of a sudden this epiphany for me. I was like, that's, you're saying the exact same thing that, that I've been told over and over again. Um, however, you phrase it in a way that now I understand better. I don't feel like I need to be a jerk if we've all talked about and aligned on expectations. And, and then I just need to hold you accountable to those. And that's a part of that's a part of business. It's a part of being professional and working, um, you know. And I would say when I learned that, it fundamentally changed my career um, and and my ability to be successful as a leader. Because at that point, it was about defining expectations and then um, enabling people to be successful and empowering them to be successful at, at accomplishing them. Um, and so the, those expectations are are a very important part of of technology leadership. You know, what does it mean to have operational excellence? What are we trying to accomplish? Um, who are we trying to hire? What are we trying to get done? Um, and allowing the team to be a part of those conversations. I, you know, I, I don't want to, and, and in fact, it's not very successful for me to come out and dictate to a team how we're going to work. 
if, if I tell the team how we're going to work, then it's likely to get met with a lot of resistance. Um, and it's likely, you know, that the team won't be as bought in as if they had come up with those strategies as a part of some sort of collaborative process, right? Um, and so my, my favorite thing to do is to sit down and say, hey, um, you know, we, we've all talked about our tenets, our goals. We have found ourselves in a place where we're not achieving one of those goals. Let's say that, you know, um, for some reason, you know, uh, we're, we're not shipping software as, as reliably as we wanted to. Well, I'm not a jerk to come out and say, hey, like, does everyone agree? We're not, we're not doing as good here as we want to do. No, yeah, it makes sense. Okay, well then, you know, how can we evolve to, to do this better? Um, and, you know, that becomes a very collaborative process and, and ultimately creates incredible accountability, right? Where the team feels like they've been a part of it and they're now responsible to make sure that they can um, meet those expectations. And, and the buy-in and the culture that, that you know, is, is created from that is just unbelievable. You know, the, the team at Rao is, is really probably the most impressive team I've ever worked with. All the way from you know the executive group down, you know to to every every group you know definitely engineering um, is is you know the, the most impressive group of engineers that, that I've had an opportunity to work with, and you know the, the culture of the team as a result um, is is also you know it's it's collaborative, it's humble, it's um, you know low ego, and it's it's highly accountable. Um, and I don't have to be a jerk to facilitate that culture. And, and the team doesn't have to be a jerk to facilitate that culture. So, you know, um, that, that's a part of it. Uh, I would say the, the last thing I, I, I would want to touch on here, and then you, you're very welcome to dive into to details, because obviously, you know, technical leadership is incredibly broad. Um, but it's, it's very important for people to also know what's in it for them. So, so I've described, like, Hey, you know, obviously here's what's in it for route. Here's where we want to go. And here's how we're thinking about enabling your success to help us go there. But what's in it for people? Um, you know, what is in it for their personal story, their personal growth, their personal careers? Um, and, and I think a lot of that comes down to just a lot of transparency in terms of, you know, what does success look like and, and how can route help enable the success of people? And so from day one, you know, we, we actually set up levels and expectations and, you know, ways in which you can get promoted and things that just give people a sense of understanding of, okay, you know, I am here today, um, success in my career looks like this, and here is how I can go about, um, you know, demonstrating that my personal contributions and my ability to scale and grow as, as, as you know, a professional um, are, are heading in that direction. And so that, that structure is, is very important. Um, so I, I think I'll, I'll stop there and, and happy to dive into to anything specific, but that, that's a broad overview of it. Preach. If this were like a contest for like best tech leaders speak condensed, <laughs> you'd win. <laughs> oh, thank awesome. you. Dude, I was just sitting there and I, I was just like, keep going, man. I was like, he's, there's no way he's got another one. And then you just like pull it out. I'm like, yes, there we go. Dude, that was just like, uh, now I have something to point people to, right? I could say, hey, go listen to that because super condensed video editors will love you for that. Uh, <laughs> but I do want to dive into to some parts. Like, so 
one of the things that kept coming up in the back of my mind, because I get to interact with so many different types of leaders and I get to go out in public and like meet thousands of people and they listen to the show and they're from all different levels. And one of the things that I noticed the most that sort of your, your talk helped me process better is that we, we really have to drive home to, to people that listen is that like all the best practices, whether they're what, you know, Ryan just said, or you're reading a book or anything like that, all of these, they, they really do have this like baseline of having great people. Because all the problems I hear about, nine, 80, 90% of everything I hear about people that are like down and like coming for advice, it's because they're just in the wrong position with the wrong group of people. Like specifically, I'll, I'll, I'll get more down into the details. Like specifically when you were talking about, you know, getting people to, to come together to collaborate over like how you, you could be better or letting them uh, influence and help originate the process so that they have ownership of it that doesn't work with poorly skilled people like you can't do that with them and if and, and what will happen what will actually happen in the real world is people will come on they will listen they'll read books they'll figure out oh i need to let these people own it and then they go back to their c squad team right and they try to get this and it's a complete cluster and they're like that didn't work and it's like it, it definitely does work you just have to have the the right people it's like step one the, the next thing is that I find that when people will have the realization that they don't have the right team, there are two types of people I found. Because uh, I'll go like speak at, at teams and companies. There are the people who will walk away with the acknowledgement that they don't have the right people. And they either, they won't be strong enough to make adjustments and get a right team in place. or So they'll either make the adjustments or they won't. And I would say 80% of the people, they don't do it. They, they know, but because it's difficult. And so for that, like one of my favorite quotes from, you know, I'm big into like personal development. So one of those personal development people said like, uh, if, you, if you do what is uh, easy, your life will be difficult. If you do what's difficult, your life will be easy, right? It's like, it's like a discipline thing. So many times we know what we should be doing, but we won't do it. Uh, and so I guess to, to ask you a question, the, the, the first question I have is, um, at any point in time, did you find yourself in like in, in your entire work history? Uh, did you find yourself on not a good team, have the realization and then like go find a better team? Has that ever happened for you? Um, you know, I've, I've, I've been incredibly lucky, I think. Um, I, I would say I've not found, found myself in that position. Um, you know, prior to Qualtrics, I was at a company called backcountry.com. Um, and, you know, e-commerce, online, you know, retailer of outdoor equipment and, and gear and things like that. Um, I, I went there to work for uh, a guy by the name of Steve Brain. And Steve Brain had been a, a VP of supply chain and, and different areas over at Amazon for 10 years. Um, and, you know, Amazon, you know, has, has done incredible things with regards to, um, you know, technology and culture and, you know, and, and things like that. And so Steve came out of Amazon with just unbelievable experience that helped me learn. And, and absolutely from day one, you know, that team at Backcountry was some of the most talented people I've ever worked with. And they've left Backcountry and gone to Facebook and Qualtrics and Apple and Google and, you know, a, a just, you know, 
as, as many of the, the great tech companies you can think of, um, people from backcountry have, have filtered out and, and joined them. Um, and, and so I've, I've been very lucky. And you know, Steve definitely set my career off in, in the right direction, um, thinking about technology and leadership and product um, you know, in, in ways that are very scalable, very customer focused, very, very high bar in terms of, of people. So I feel lucky about that. You know, I, I, I definitely empathize with what you're saying, which is if you've not done that, it's hard to change. Um, you know, I, I've got to give some credit to Jared Smith, um, one of the founders of Qualtrics for being absolutely relentless in terms of maintaining that bar, completely uncompromising. I'm sure Charlie can share some stories here as well. You know, and, and Jared, um, yeah, I, I remember day one, um, him just describing, this is the type of people we hire and this is why, and you know, we, we won't compromise. I, I remember like feeling desperate to make certain hires. And as we drilled into you know, their experience and, and different things about them, um, I remember Jared specifically coming out and saying no. And at the time it was like, well, are you kidding me? Like this, this person's great in, in all of these different dimensions. And yeah, they, there might be this one thing or these two things, but like, you know, we need them really bad. We should hire them anyways. Um, and, and to see him, even though he felt more than probably anybody, like, yes, I also feel the need for these people to be here, but to say no, um, you know, just taught me that it's possible. Um, it is possible to do. And when you do it, then it becomes a little bit easier the next time, right? And, and a little bit easier the next time. And, you know, once that the, the, the most important part about this is once you get the flywheel started, then it really starts to go, right? I mean, the, the first few hires at Route were really hard. I, I was not the CTO. I was like the head recruiter at the time, right? Like I had a, I got to figure out how to get good people to Route. And we're a tiny company. And you know we have a very exciting vision and mission, but like, how do I convince people to come and join us? Um, and you know we interviewed a bunch of people, and it was like no, 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 no. You know, and, and I remember feeling pressure from like, hey, we've got to make hires. Um, but ultimately, we did. We made one, and then we made two, and then we made three, right? And and now we're a team of close to forty software engineers, some of the most talented people I've ever worked with. You know, experience all across the map from people right out of high school, you know, at some of the, or sorry, right out of college at some of the, the most impressive universities, all the way up to they, they left Amazon and joined Route, right? Or, or they left, um, you know, Apple or, or something like that. And, you know, now people come and they interview and, you know, they, they read like a blog post that I wrote or they, they do a little bit of research and they talk to the team and they, you know, they leave and they're like, I want to be there. Like those people are good, right? Like that is a talented team. And I like that philosophy and I want to surround myself with the best people. And, and you know, we have enough of a team now that they can see that. And they, they, they realize that um, it's different than other places. Right. And, and so that investment and that pressure up front was worth it. And, you know, to anybody that's listening to this, if you're, if you're doing a startup, start with that strategy. Um, you know, start from the beginning. It's hard to get started, but you know, it, once you get going, it, it'll move. If you're not there, um, I I would say figure out how to how to make a change, and and that's tough. That's a cultural change. Um, you got to figure out how to you know 
how do you reestablish like what great is? And, you know, um, I don't know. That's, it, it is it's tough. tough. I, I would say, yeah. Here's the best, here's the, here's the best thing that I've got. I just, just was thinking about it now. I was trying to figure out like everyone wants to, the bullet points that they can rattle off. Oh, if you, if you do this process, you're going to get the best people, but like, there's no way to describe it. Cause like I can see, you know, for me, it's like, I can see Fabiana or like Jaime, like I could see them in my head cause I know them and we just need like more people like them. But if you yeah. were to, you, there's nothing you could do to like pick apart the attributes. It's, it's like, it's, it's, <laughs> it's partly spirit, like soul. It's like partly energy, energetic too. Uh, yeah. In, in personality, but I would say like, and, and I'm just going to freestyle here. So let's, let's rip it apart. Like if you think of the most professional person in the world. So if I was, if I was talking to somebody who's like, how do I get out of here? Or like, how do I, how do I set a bar? How do I figure out where I am in the stack? Think about like the most professional, passionate, hardworking person in the world. And they feel like they're one in a million. But what I've learned through this show and getting to visit people there are entire organizations where that's the norm there are like a bunch of those people like those people are the 80 percent and it's it's near impossible to imagine you're like this is like a one in a million person but then you come across organizations you know like route right or amazon and you realize that this is something that's so deeply baked into who they are that you won't survive if if you're not that yep. yeah yeah, that that that's exactly right, and and it's tricky to to interview for that. You know, it's um, we've we've definitely set a high bar just in terms of people's understanding of like computer science fundamentals and problem solving and, and things like that. You know, we we want to make sure people have the right technical foundation to be successful. But then there's this like there's this other piece, right? It's it's attitude, it's curiosity, growth mindset, um, humility, and and it's hard to interview for, um, you know, and, and it's, it'd be hard to create like a bullet point of like, ask these questions and expect these answers um, to, to really, you know, identify that. But, um, you know, I, I would say a lot of interviews um, is you, you kind of get trained, you, you start to see it. Um, and, and ultimately, you know, I, I would say the team, you know, it's so critical to the interview process is, is setting up some structure where, the team gets to be involved and and participate and evaluate, right? And we actually, um, you know, set up some some simple process so that a manager doesn't get to make the decision on a hire, right? We have a hiring committee, and and the committee's job is to make sure that we're continuing to raise the bar and we're looking for folks that are going to fit the culture and the expectations that we have, and and setting up a simple process like that, um, you know, and some structure where when we interview, we do these different types of interviews and we. We take notes, you know, and, and the notes kind of look at, at these different angles of behavior and, and technical fundamentals. And, you know, then you have a committee that understands our culture very well, read through those interview notes. And, you know, I would say that that almost always gets it right um, because they know our team, they know our people, they know our goals. And when you read through from an unbiased perspective, a candidate and you look at their resume and you look at their job history and you look at the decisions they've made, um, I would say that, you know, most of the time we can make the right decision through that process. I want to add to that because I think, I think a couple key takeaways just finishing off what Ryan was saying is if you have a group of people, uh, so you interview by committee, right? 
you always have a cross-functional person, right? So no direct, no direct um, you know, management chain can make that decision because that can lead to their urgency leading to a compromise uh, and, and leading to a suboptimal hire. But I think when you, when you actually get together and you review everybody's feedback on a given candidate, you start to realize when you do this over time that it gets incredibly obvious. And so one of the things that I train my hiring managers on is if you're using a term like, I'm, I, I like them, but I'm on the fence, the answer is no. If you're using terms like, you know what, I'm a, I'm a soft yes, the answer is no. And what you start to build is this culture where it's like the expectation is that you are not, if you are not emphatically pounding the fist on the table because you think this is one of the best people um, you know, that you've ever seen, then we're going to move on. And, and the expectation is that we keep looking. And then the way this, this isn't like, you can't really quantify it, but what I push all my hiring managers to do is if you don't have a very reasonable expectation, a strong belief that this person will be on the top third of your team, then you're, then you don't hire them. Um, and so that, that's kind of, that's how we talk about it. It's like, is this going to be, you know, of our 10 CSMs, is this going to be one of the top three? And if the answer to that question is no, and you don't have strong confidence, the answer to that question is yes, we should keep looking. I love this. Cause if you want to go, if you want to like step up, right. If you're, cause everyone has to grow in their career. We don't imagine that everyone comes out perfect and you usually grow through pressure, right. And pain. And that's how it works. And, uh, if you, if you want to do this, it really for like, if I wanted to come work at a company like route, it would really force me to double down on what I'm the best at, like what, where my skill set is and be very aware, like it forces awareness. It also puts me in an environment where people are pushing themselves forward. So I will naturally have to be a part of that. Like I'll have to continue to push myself forward as well. No, I love it. It's just, you get this uh, cyclical uh, positive feedback loop. And we have, uh, I like that you guys said that too. We have uh, on our uh, website, one of our core values is uh, like hell yes or not at all and reference the yeah. talent. It's like, did we walk out of that? And we were like, oh, we have to have them. Or did we walk out of that? We're like, yeah, that, that could work. You know, yeah. dude, this is great. How do I get a job at route? No. <laughs> no, for people listening, my team's like, what? Now for people listening, uh, route.com slash careers. Route is one of the, the fortunate companies to be very actively hiring during, during the current environment. You know, we, uh, being in e-commerce and and seeing a shift of of buying trends more online with some of the latest environmental changes, um, you know, has been great for Route, which which is crazy to say, and and we are very actively hiring in engineering, in you know, revenue teams, um, and and across the board. So, it you know, finding our our career you know career page, our our job descriptions, and, and all that sort of stuff is would would definitely be a way. Um, to get in touch, you know, and, um, and, and just be curious, you know, um, I, route is, route is very, um, I, I would say really wants to see that people want to be at route, um, you know, and, and that starts with our CEO. I remember, uh, I think the last question he asked me was how excited are you about route or how bad do you want to be at route? Um, and, and that is like his litmus test at the end of like, you know, is this going to be the right person? Um, and, you know, I'd say that that's continued. We want people, uh, you know, ultimately the, the final step of being wildly successful at route is just 
loving what we're trying to go and do. You know, Route wants to go like every startup, of course, and change the world in some, you know, interesting way, but Route really has an opportunity to do that. Um, you know, we are making really big moves in e-commerce and, um, you know, the, the product future and, and the strategy that we have is so exciting and it's so ambitious and, and there's no way to accomplish that without people that feel like they, you know, that they want to be a part of that and they want to give it everything that they've got and be all in to, to like make, you know, this, uh, you know, a, a wild success and, and they're going to, you know, benefit from it in the process. Um, you know, I think Charlie and I could absolutely say that, you know, we owe our career success to an incredible rocket ship called Qualtrics that blew up and gave us unbelievable opportunity to make mistakes and grow and, and figure out how to be, you know, better at what we do. Um, you just don't get those sort of opportunities in companies that are not that that are not experiencing that sort of growth. Um, you know, you also don't get the chaos that comes from from that sort of growth. Like I've got so much scar tissue, and you know, I, I refer to some of my days at Qualtrics as like the dark days of my life, um, because like the pressure that that I felt and that my team felt, and you know, the mistakes that we made were sometimes just hard to handle. Um, but, you know, even through those experiences, having phenomenal leaders and mentors that allowed me to keep trying, um, and, you know, coached me and mentored me through those experiences. Um, and, you know, that, that ultimately gave me a, a set of tools and experiences and, um, you know, philosophies around how I could go and do this again. Um, and how I could go and do it better, right? I mean, that that's the, the awesome thing about the experience that Charlie and I have right now is that we get to go and, and do it better because we've both made mistakes. We've seen, um, you know, problems with- <laughs> Charlie says no. Charlie shaking his head. He's like, I don't know what to speak for you. Charlie's never made a mistake, yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, like we, we've seen problems with customers and product and people and hiring and like, everything you can imagine like I, I will i could tell you about an experience where it was like i totally screwed this this thing up right and and it just allows us now to be so proactive about repeating these sort of experiences and doing it it better in some way right and it's not to say that we're not going to make mistakes at route you know we are and we have and you know we're going to find new new challenges and and we're going to develop new scar tissue um but you know, th those sort of environments, you know, that is why I would encourage anyone that is listening to this and, and is, you know, like, oh, that sounds, that sounds kind of cool. Like it, it is cool. And, you know, immerse yourself in an environment like that. And you'll walk out five years later, um, 10 to 15 years ahead in your career because of, of what you experienced and the opportunity that you had to, to evolve with a company through those kind of phases of growth. Dude, this is great. You guys are awesome. I think it's a good exercise to even try for someone to try to get a job. <laughs> Maybe they'll realize like where their <laughs> skill level is. <laughs> yeah, try to get a job at a great company. Like if you're at a company, you know, you can either try to fight the entire culture or you can step up your game and go work at a company that'll, like you said, advance your career by a decade or more. And I, and I believe yeah. that too, because 
there was a time in life when I didn't try that hard. And then I decided that path wasn't for me. And let's start trying. And I'll tell you what, when you start trying, you get results like fast. Everyone's like, oh, it takes a long time. Yes, it takes a long time. It takes a lifetime to do a to, to do something great, right? Like to do a lifetime's worth of work, right? But you can get instant progress right away from just stepping it up and, and changing your routine and actually, like how many people sit down for an hour a day and try to improve as a leader? Like, come on, like not many people. But, you know, if you do that or 20 minutes a day or, you know, put that into your routine and let it compound over a year or two, you'll get so much farther ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think one of my one of my favorite quotes in terms of career development is like everybody everybody overestimates what they can do in a year and everybody underestimates what they can do in a decade. And you might might feel like maybe you haven't made you know a tremendous amount of progress in the last 12 months. That's fine. But it's like look at where you look at where you were 10 years ago and it'll blow your mind. And if that doesn't motivate you, like yeah. we're we're not on the same wavelength. Yeah. yeah. And if you haven't gone anywhere in 10 years, yeah. <laughs> Buy some uh, self personal development, but uh, <laughs> I think Tony Robbins has a has a course for that or something. You're, you're exactly, you know, I tend to be a high performing person, uh, and I say that with as much modesty. Like I I try really hard, and and it, and it sometimes creates this this issue where like I'm pushing myself too hard. And so one of the ways I ground myself is I say, you know, where was I 12 months ago? Where was I 24 months ago? And when I make bullet points out and like have to really consolidate it, I said, oh my God, like, look how far I've gotten in the past 12 months, because you definitely have to take that time to reflect and figure out, you know, what bullet points are important to you and how you've grown. And if you look back, you know, that's a real uh, eye opener. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, even just being in a space, your comment around 20 minutes a day to reflect on your leadership or 20 minutes a day, you know, that um, finding yourself in kind of the headspace or, or other where, where you can pull yourself enough out of the detail to think about that is, is so important. And if you can't, um, you know, it's, it's, um, we, we have a, a structure where this kind of you know career levels at, at route and you know every every degree of of kind of success or, or movement it, it really introduces more ambiguous broader kind of scoped challenges and and you know it it really what i what i try to tell people is it's like hey if if you find yourself in a spot where you're not scaling you know, really what that means is that like, you've not been able to identify, um, you know, kind of step outside of the box and, and identify that the, the problem or the challenge or, or what you're dealing with is getting bigger. And, and you know, you've got to step back and, and think about how can you solve it at a bigger scale? I, I remember one time, uh, yeah, here's some scar tissue, but John, John Tim's in the CTO at Qualtrics at one point, I was up probably 48 hours straight um, trying to save a big deal and like just working my ass off and like was so exhausted. And ultimately at the end, we, we like, we fixed it and it was successful and it saved, you know, a tremendous amount of money for the, for the business and, and whatever. Um, and he, uh, he's like, 
rather than like, Ryan, thank you so much. It was something like, hey, um, you know, you really need to level up. And I was like, what? Um, I was so mad in the moment, but he's like, you know, he's like, if you're going to scale with Quattrics and your job, you've got to level up. He's like, you can't like, thank you for doing that, but you shouldn't have had to do that. You shouldn't have had like been in the, you know, in the detail working 48 hours straight. Like you should have been able to think about and, and solve that problem in a bigger and better way. Um, and, and so, yeah, like just, just kind of the, the, the big picture here is find a way to take those 20 minutes, find a way to, to get outside of like the pressure and stress and everything that's going on and think about like, am I solving this effectively? Am I solving it at scale? Is the problem getting bigger than, than what I'm capable of doing? Is there a way that I can change the way I'm doing this to do it better? Is there a way that I can bring more people in, more process, more whatever? Like there's always better ways to do it. And if you can take the time um, to do that on a, on a recurring basis, like you'll probably have a lot more success than you would otherwise, right? Um, and and when you might, you know, when you think you might be crushing it, um, you know, I, I love the confidence track. You know, um, John at one point was like, I, I don't have confidence. I don't have confidence that, that you're going to solve this, or I don't have confidence that, that you're the right leader for this problem. That... For, high, for highly motivated people and people that have a lot of, you know, like, like you described yourself, um, you know, I'm, I'm a, a high-performing person. When a high-performing person hears that someone doesn't have confidence that they're able to do something, there is probably nothing in the world more motivating. Um, yeah. It's like, are you, are you kidding me? Like, of course I can do this. And, you know, I, um, so that it's, it's a talk track of mine now. It's like, hey, I am not confident that you're solving this in the right way, or I'm not confident that, you know, that you're the right leader for this. Um, I can say that without being a jerk, you know, because it's honest. And I love what that does to high performing people because it instantly kicks them into gear and, and they start to think about, they take that time, those 20 minutes to step back, think about the problem differently and come back and be like, you know what, you're right. Um, I could do this better. And you know, here's what I'm gonna here's what I'm gonna do about it. I did have a talk with my wife like <clears throat> last weekend, and I said, "Honey, you just have to stop believing in me. This is like incredibly demotivating, because <laughs> every time I want to <laughs> do something big, she's like, "Of course you can do anything. You're the man." I'm like, "No, no, 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 no. That is not that is not the instruction manual of Joel. Like, yeah. tell me it's not possible, <laughs> and I can't do it, and it'll likely fail. And then I'm gonna like go at it with more energy than I've ever gone at anything in my life with." It's like, I need yeah. that reason. I don't know why, you know, maybe historically from like, you know, like when I was younger, I got hit by a car and I had to learn how to walk. I did a lot of difficult things like early on in my life and I saw them as challenges that needed to be overcome. And so, you know, rather than trying to unwork all of that, it's like, this is how I operate. What's let's, let's just put a challenge in front of me. Let's find some resistance, you know, some people who say I can't do it. And if I, that's how I make the cake right? I need the challenge. I need the people to tell me it's not like raising money. Yeah. Like, don't just tell me, no, tell me the idea is never going to work. Like, don't be nice to me. Like kick me out of this <laughs> meeting and tell me you're not going to raise and my idea is stupid. <laughs> right. Like they're way too yeah. nice these days. Like, I think, I think yeah. people have gotten a little bit too nice these days. Like you hear the stories back in, you know, when people are trying to start their businesses, like the KFCs and whatever you hear those stories and getting like kicked out of things or being told, 
absolutely not for like films. You, you hear those things. And I'm like, where is that? Why is everybody so nice? Yeah. <laughs> I need that fuel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My wife doesn't yeah. work that way though. <laughs> she, she has a different motivation structure. So like for me, not believing in her, that doesn't work. So I, I, I have to, you know, support her, but I like using relationships because uh, I think relationships are relationships. They're definitely different flavors, but you know, humans interacting is humans interacting. You can learn a lot. Like uh, do either of you have kids? Oh yeah. Yeah. You, you learn so much from having kids, right? I've got two little ones under the age of three and, man, watching them as little AIs boot up and their algorithms <laughs> learn. Like, oh, I would love to chat more about that. That's exactly how I feel. <laughs> right? It's like, how long, AIs. Yep. it's like, how long is it going to take? How many iterate? They're surprisingly efficient. Like they can they learn are. things pretty fast. Yeah. yeah. Impressive. <laughs> I got a three and a six-year-old. It's so funny. The first day I was like, oh my God, like you're a little amazing AI and I can just see your like neural net learning kind of in this unsupervised way as you experience all this stuff and get rewards and pain and different like that's amazing but um that's funny i guess that's a different topic no it's a good topic i i yeah. was when i watch them go about their day when they don't know i'm there or something like i'll watch them in the other room learn something like i'll actually watch them try two or three times and then get it and then be like oh and then reinforce that learning i realized yeah. like one day, I can't remember the number, but I calculated the hours, like their waking hours. And, you know, and I know that like my daughter, she's the oldest of the two. She's, uh, she's about three years old now. And I, and I was calculating her hours and I was like, that seems reasonable. Like it was a couple thousand hours, you know, that, that they of waking time that they've had over three years. I was like, that seems about reasonable for what it would take a machine to learn. Or I'm sure there's like some yeah. exponential curve that happens too after they get yeah. that. Language really enables learning too. It, it, the language supercharges yeah. their learning. But. Yeah, that, absolutely. No, I, I mean, you, you think about all the, all the inputs that they have, right? There's so many different inputs. Like I, it, it actually gives me a lot of faith in like the, the long perspective of AI. Cause I, I watched kids learn and it's like, I, I feel like, I feel like you could, you could design that theoretically like if, if you could build something that had those sort of inputs and the processing capabilities that that people have and um you know just the and and then get it to build like like you said language just enables a whole new dimension of of growth and, and experiences and, and so i know it having kids didn't make me more spiritual. It made me more, more believing that, you know, in, in the long run, AI is going to take over the world. <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. You know, it's interesting too. Cause like, I think about this quite a bit. Like these are some thoughts that keep me up at night too. And, and, and like a, a way that you were just sort of alluding to, like you wouldn't need to sit there and train them on a thousand pictures of what a monkey looks like. You know, that, that's like super narrow. Like what you would yeah. do is you would create, like these input sensors, these ability to process input data. And then you would create some basic driving factors like hunger, uh, survival. Yeah. You just need yeah. to program those and then you'd let it run. And people would say, well, that would, they, they would say, well, that would take forever. Of course, it takes about 15 to 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> that is about yeah. how long it takes with an incredible processor. I mean, I noticed yeah. my mental, my last mental ledge was around turning 30. And where things like had like a very large shift for me. And so I was like, wow, 
that it that lines up with the physiological like or bio, biological age of when they say you hit maturity and yeah. about 30 years and i'm still making mistakes and not everything's perfect and my knowledge is incredibly narrow like compared yeah. to every possible thing that you could learn you know it's it's just it's absolutely fascinating yeah absolutely all right well, we went a little bit over i hope that's okay with you guys that's okay with me. That did we fun. did we did we miss anything? Did we have a call to action that we need? Um, yeah, down don't download the route app. Um, you know, get into the modern age of of how you should be tracking your your online orders. And uh, and if anybody owns an e-commerce uh, site out there, check it out. It's free. Deploy it on your site. And uh, I think those are probably two pretty good ones. Have you connected with yeah. Shopify yet? Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, we have an app on Shopify. Oh, cool. Have you met their CTO yet? I've not met their CTO Dude, yet. listen to his episode and like reach out to him. He's a cool yeah. guy. He would totally talk with you. I don't know if it's useful for you, but he was, uh, he was definitely one of my, one of my favorite guests. No, that, that's awesome. Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. We, um, yeah, I, I, think, I think the call to action is, is well, um, like, like Charlie said, route is, we, we've got some, some big, um, just some, some big and creative thoughts for the future. And, and so, you know, whether you're a consumer or a, a merchant, um, you know, kind of joining the route network on, on either of those sides is, is, is a lot more than just kind of what you experience today. You're like buying into um, kind of our, our strategy and, you know, our, um, our ability to have success. And, you know, I, I think, um, I don't know, it's, I, we're pretty thrilled about, you know, the next one to two to three or four years about what, what Rod's going to be able to do. And, you know, I, I think that um, I'd, I'd, I'd love to go into more detail there, but like Charlie said, we'll, we'll leave some teasers. Um, but there, there's just so much opportunity to elevate online shopping and, and make it better. Um, and and make it more social and make it more um discoverable and make it um you know just a i think about when when you want to buy something um what is your process for figuring that out how you know do you go onto amazon and type it in and, and you look at the reviews and then you decide if you trust the reviews or or if they're fake or or you know are the people that are reviewing it even like you i mean there's so many broken aspects of discovering product of then buying product of um sharing you know and and that 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 is an opportunity that that route is just very excited to to go and be creative in the last thing i shopped was um like a home workout uh like squat rack that you would like drill into the your garage and it would yep. come down and when i because uh, i don't shop much like stuff but i was looking for those because they were out everywhere so it forced me to shop uh i'm not I, I try not to shop that much but like uh i try to just find one thing find the best thing fast but this I, i'd say that the big takeaway from that experience uh was that there i usually buy pretty fast and because i couldn't because everyone was out of stock i ended up finding like after i got past the amazon and the couple big named retailers, sports authorities or whatever, or Dick Sporting Goods, like I started to come across, and I don't know exactly how, 
but these like smaller brands that actually had like higher quality stuff for maybe like a hundred dollars more totally reasonable when i saw like oh i could have this and it's like a it was like a company and i think it was actually i think in like utah or something like p tx i don't know but i saw it and i was like whoa this is almost this is like a hundred dollars more than this bulk brand over here and they're manufacturing it in utah and they're yeah. and it and it looks cooler because it like that's color and it looks sturdier and it was not like the bulk stuff that they were ordering from china and just slapping their logo on and i was yeah. like why can't i find those brands faster yeah. like how do i find those brands faster like the cool thing uh yeah. and so that would be that, that's just something that's that came off the top of my head i 100 percent agree you know and and it's you know, we're, we're in a world where it's very hard for these brands not to exist on, on, on Amazon, right? It's, it's hard to compete. It, it's hard to not be prime. It's hard to not provide free shipping. It's, it's, you know, hard, hard to do a lot of stuff. And, and route is, is coming into a cool opportunity to empower these brands um, to provide similar services in some ways, right? To, how do we give you an Amazon-like experience to resolve an order issue, right? I mean, in Amazon, you just go into the app and you say, I, you know, this is wrong with it, whatever, and you typically are taken care of. It's really convenient. There's a reason why Amazon's had a lot of success. Um, well, how can we do that for other stores online? How do, how do we allow merchants to provide similar sort of, you know, capabilities and services to their, to their buyers? Um, and then ultimately, how do you find them as a consumer? How do, you, how do you learn about them, right? So there, there's so much there, and you know, it's it's going to be fun to unpack it and and um, you know to build towards that kind of ultimate vision that we have is you know to help people see, share, and discover product. I love it. Dude, this is great. Yeah, good, Charlie. Good, good chatting with you. You're the man. Thank you. This is awesome. Thanks for having me on. You guys are the best. Cool. cool. Thank have you. Have a great day. It. That was fun. Cheers. Yeah.